You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Today, I'm joined by former Washington tight end Logan Paulson. We talk about the 2012 season finale, the clinched playoff spot, what it was like to play in that game. Also, great insight into Chase Young's improvement, as well as Antonio Gibson, and he touches on Scott Turner's play calling. A lot of you asked about that. Just a lot of really good, solid football talk heading into a big game. And then I close it out with a Therapy Thursday session to answer your questions. More quarterback talk there. You can follow Paulson on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. He's doing video game, he's doing breakdown, video breakdowns of games. So check it out. And you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a few nuggets on Taylor Heineke on Friday. Get to know the quarterback who might have to lead your team to a division title. And now, here's my conversation with Logan Paulson. All right, well, Logan, I do want to get into a little bit of Dwayne Haskins since the news happened this week, but I know people also, by this point in the week, kind of want to look ahead a little bit. So, I and I want to start off, I'm going to get to your Instagram page in a minute too, but I want to start off with, you played in a big game to end the season to make a playoff, or to, win, to clinch a playoff spot in 2012. What is that like for a player to go into the last game of the year with that on the line? Um, you know, looking back on that uh, 2012 game against the Cowboys, that was one of the funnest games I've ever played in. You know, I think uh, it was a kind of a myriad of things that led to that game being so much fun. I think the stakes, you know, the playoffs on the line. I think the fact we were on like a six-game winning streak going into that game, the confidence we were playing with, it just felt like, just felt like, you know, every every opportunity that you talked about at the beginning of the year as a team was there for you at, in, in that last game and you controlled your own destiny, which is, you know, if you're a competitor and all and that team was very competitive, you know, you can't ask for anything better than that. So um, yeah, that's basically how I would characterize it. It was one of the funnest times I had uh, playing professional football. And, um, you know, obviously this team's coming in a little differently. Right. You know, they're kind of coming in hobbling a little bit. So I don't, I'm not sure they feel that same confidence, right? You know, maybe they feel a little bit of anxiety because they're not playing to the level that we all expect them to play to. But, um, yeah, I would imagine that most of those guys are pretty excited for the opportunity. And you guys did go on on such a strong tear. And, I mean, I would assume that you guys went in that game thinking there's no way they're going to be able to stop stop you today. That's exactly right. And, and you know, like, we just got to this point, which was which I've, I haven't experienced since then and I hadn't experienced prior to this, where you just knew – that you were going to win. Like there was no doubt in our minds, like that you were going to win the game. Like even, even when in, early in that game, when it wasn't going super well for us uh, offensively, like we just had this feeling that we we're going to win. And, you know, it came down to um, kind of a, a big play at the end of the game, big interception. And stuff. But even then, even when it was, yeah, even if, even when it was close, like we still believed it, you know what I mean? And that playing with that kind of confidence is, 
is just it's like it's such a high you know it's it's like i can't think of anything else quite like can it, it when there's a young team because this the current washington team is fairly young how much can yep. this experience help or is it a or you know once the season ends does it just kind of get placed in its own box or can you build on this experience win or lose yeah, I think you can for sure. I think uh, I think one of the things that it does is it shows you how hard it is to to get to this moment. You know, like the division's obviously down this year, so it isn't hard, as hard as it normally is. But um, I think it shows the young guys, especially like it isn't guaranteed. You know, this this opportunity. Like, think about all the grinding you had to do. Think about everything you had to give up to get to this point, and then to to not quite make it. Think about how much more you would have to give up to make it mm-hmm. that extra little bit. And it puts like all of that work into some context for you, which I think is really, um, which is really valuable, especially for young players. Cause like, you know, I've been uh, around guys who've been a part of winning seasons, like in Atlanta, for example, where they were part of that Super Bowl run. They're like, oh, we'll be back there next year, or the year after. And I joined them, I think, three years after that Super Bowl game, and they hadn't even gotten close, right. you know? So um, it just, it just shows you how tough it can be, you know, how tough. Uh, maintaining that level of, of performance can be and what it what it means to kind of grind through a season. And, you know, it's it's funny they bring that up, too, because it is it is very difficult. What how do you maintain? I mean, you've been around this league for a while now. You've been with multiple organizations. How do you maintain that? Is it as you know, I mean, Atlanta had a good quarterback in Matt Ryan. I mean, how do you maintain? Yeah, that? yeah it, it, it's a myriad of things, man. It, it's and that's why it's not easy. That's why that that anomaly up in New England right now is right. such a is such a case study, such a good example to look at. Like they were able to find a good quarterback. They didn't overpay him. They were able to kind of find good role players and keep that middle of the roster really healthy and um, develop, you know, those young guys that they had there for a long, long time. And obviously over the last couple of years, they've struggled with that. And you're seeing kind of the, the fruits of that labor come to light a little bit now, which I think is tough, but you know, it, if there was a clean answer, I think everybody Absolutely. would, would yeah. be doing it right. But it's it's it all it stems from the quarterback. It stems from keeping guys around that are valuable, like making good decisions. You know, like there's a a, a, sta- a saying in business that like I forget the exact wording, but it's something like twenty uh, percent of your people do ninety percent of right. the work. An NFL roster is a little bit like that too, right? You got to keep the right people, keep the people that are doing the right things, and um, don't overpay when a guy kind of ages out or isn't playing well just because of the loyalty that he's shown to the organization. I know that sentence maybe sounds a little callous, but like those hard decisions are what makes good organizations. I think we've seen that time and again here, to be honest, where some guys have stuck around when they've aged and they shouldn't have, but the, but yeah. because the owner is, he's a favorite of the owner, they're going to stick around and get paid. And it's like, whereas in new England, right. they're going to trade guys a year before everybody thinks you should. And, and they are the ones that maintain. Right. So um, do you, when, when you have a guy like Chase Young, who has emerged as a leader, like the way he has, it's, it feels organically because it wasn't like he was ordained. It was just, yeah. it happened. How important is that to have a guy like him or Terry McLaurin who in their room would be the best players and also are those kind of leaders? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think as a head coach, you love it when guys who are uber talented um, have the ability to also be kind of charismatic leaders and do things the right way. Like one of the things I remember with Mike Shanahan, when he signed, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, there was a lot of debate about whether uh, it was him or that kid from South Carolina, uh, Quinton is his last name, Quinn, oh, yeah, uh, Robert yeah. Robert Quinn. Um, and there was kind of a talk about them and Quinn's combine numbers were better. But I remember talking to Kyle and Kyle said, you know, like the leadership that Ryan brings and the work ethic is, is, is something that we find invaluable because it kind of shows you what we want 
in the organization. And so it's awesome when you get a guy like Ryan, like Chase Young, like Terry McLaurin, who's super, super, you know, uber talented, but they do things the right way because then it shows all the young guys in the room that they can't get away with kind of slacking off. It's like, it's, I think a good comp- comparison is like Julio Jones in right. Atlanta, for example. Like that guy knows the book really well. He studies hard. He practices like a maniac when he does practice. And I think all the younger guys say, oh, like this is the model. Like this is what it takes to be the best receiver in the yeah. NFL. And I think, you know, I think Chase Young, Terry McLaurin, they kind of provide that same example. Maybe not to that level quite yet, but I'm not saying that's out of the realm of possibility. With Chase, what are some of the things that jump out to you about his game? Because there's there are going to be some obvious that everybody's going to see. You're always a big details guy. What jumps out at you when you watch him? Well, I think one of the things that's been really surprising about his game is the effort that he mm-hmm. plays with. He plays with a tremendous effort. And like I know his pass rushing production probably hasn't been exactly what he's wanted or what the fans have wanted this year. But he is a he's a voracious football player, and that covers up a lot of stuff. Guys who play hard, like you, you can bet on those guys because they kind of can get themselves out of slumps. And you know, it was great watching this this game on Sunday because I felt like his pass rushing was starting to mm-hmm. come on a little bit in a way that like you kind of saw in college. Like he kind of was finding his sea legs a little bit, which is something I've been waiting for this whole year. He was, and he came, and, he, and the other thing is he came alive in really critical pass rushing situations, which is which is so characteristic of those elite elite pass rushers so to me like because he plays so hard he plays so physically like that's a guy you can count on you know that's a guy that maybe it takes him a year or two to get to that uh double digit sack number but it's someone that you can kind of say hey like he's doing things the right way he's preparing he's got this good leadership uh style he's like the thing the other thing that i noticed is he's standing up when the offense is on the field yeah. he's clapping he's cheering guys on which is which is really unusual i know that might sound weird but it's very very unusual for the defense to be that engaged in what the offense is doing um, because they have their own battles to fight so um i think that 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 those two elements i think are really uh really awesome that he he has those two two characteristics and the thing with him is it comes across naturally like some guys do things for the cameras for this or that he seems to be doing it because it's who he is and i think guys right i mean i would imagine guys feed off that yeah, I think, you know, like I've been around guys in other organizations who um, like some guys in Houston, for example, come to mind who kind of are different people when the camera's on. They have a different leadership style. They 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 engage with the, the team differently when the cameras are around. And it, and it it's exactly right. It doesn't come off as authentic. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and so you kind of know that that guy doesn't really feel that way about you or this team unless someone's there watching right. him. And I And I get the sense that you know, it's not that way for Chase Young. And obviously, it's still young. It's his first year. We'll see how that develops and, uh, and uh, evolves. But I do, I do agree with you. I think there is, some, there is a natural element to his leadership style that um, can't be under, uh, overvalued, you know, by the organization. Because when you have a guy who's naturally that way, kind of gregarious, outgoing, loves the game, it, it's infectious. And then two things, two more things with him. One, his awareness, he seems to play with a ton of awareness for a guy who's in his first year. Um, right. Have you, how much have you seen that? And just like, cause it seems like he's breaking up plays because he's dropping off in a situation where the quarterback might not be expecting it, but because it's what he has seen something, it disrupts a pass or something like that. But how much have you seen that in him? Well, a little bit of that is um, Jack Del Rio, yeah. you know, okay. or, uh, yeah, Jack, Jack Del Rio. He's done a, he's going to really nice job. I think this, the second half of the season of really kind of, finding his groove as a play caller, finding his groove for what the defense does well. And I think Chase Young has been able to um, reap the rewards and benefits of that a little bit. 
Um, also, I think some of uh, Chase Young's ability to like, sniff out screens and draws has come from his struggles as a pass rusher a little bit too. Like he's, he's not getting into his rush as quickly as he was like in college, for example. So he can get – and, and he is. He plays with such an aggressive motor that like once he's kind of stymied, he's ready to kind okay. of transition into these other avenues. So um, I, think it's, I think it's a little bit of that, but I, I, I do think that he – he is a he's a football playing guy, you know. I think like you look at that hit he had on Joe, Joe Burrow, like he got stuck on his rush, but he pursued right. that play. He took a good angle. Like he plays, he he his understanding of angles and the and the, and the position he needs to be in to make tackles, I think, is really kind of next level. It's something that this is going to sound crazy, but I like I saw with Trent Williams, mm-hmm. you know, like a guy who just understands kind of as a, as an innate understanding of what he needs to do to get into position and deliver a blow or make a play. And he kind of has that. And a lot of it stems from just kind of his natural athleticism, the fact that he plays hard. But um, yeah, I think both of those elements are really critical for, for his development. And, and again, it's, it's why you like, sure. him, like him as the second pick overall, because he can grow and he's got all these great qualities. Last thing on him too. Do you see a difference in how he's attacking offensive linemen these days? Maybe because early on I would hear that he's, going too much full body into them and not, you know, the t- attack half of the side and, you know, get him turned. Do you see a difference in that? Well, I definitely think the game is slowing down for him a little bit, honestly. Like if you watched the game yesterday, I know he's rushing on, he had a sack against the, the backup uh, left tackle. Right. And then the other guy is kind of a backup to Russell Okun. So second and third string guys, but I just see a more confident mm-hmm. rusher. I just see a guy who's he, like you said, he's attacking edges. He's um, he's working his first step, that get off that was so, like demonstrative in college is now coming to light and and showing why it's such like why it was such a big part of his game in college. He just seems to be more aggressive. He's taking it to the pass rusher, to the pass protector a little bit more as opposed to trying and being super yeah. reactive. Like I always go back to Ryan Kerrigan. Like Kerrigan has like two good moves as a pass rusher, but he goes to them all the time. He knows when to go to them and he's demonstrative with them. And I think being confident in what you do especially when you're the athlete of like you have that athleticism that Chase Young has, it just, it, it, it allows you to just play faster and play with uh, more aggression. And I think that's what you're starting to see from him. Um, with, with their quarterback situation is as we talk now, we don't know who's going to play quarterback in this game, but I'm kind of thinking that Alex Smith will, but we don't know yet, but with Alex Smith, right. what did you see him? Cause we again, we can look at the numbers. The numbers aren't going to be great with him. What do you, what did you right. see from your perspective that he added that maybe is very important as they go into this game Sunday? Yeah, so one of the things that I thought about Alex, and I talked about it a little bit on my Instagram, is that he is a guy, because of his experience, he knows he knows what the defenses are trying to do to him. And as a result, he can get the ball out quickly uh, and to the right guy. So not only does that help kind of the receiving group, but it also helps Scott Turner is a play caller. It helps the offensive line because they don't have to hold up for like these really long durations because he, he's, he's, he's so well studied and so learned that he knows uh, kind of where to go with the ball. And he struggles a little bit when the defenses confuse him like most right. quarterbacks. But um, one of the things, that's one thing that really jumped out to me about him and how the offense operates. It's not going to be super, you know, down the field, but he's not going to make any mistakes. And because he's so efficient with the football, um, it allows everyone to kind of play a little bit better. You know, he's not trying to force balls into people. That's why you see like this, you know, very dispersed um, uh, kind of targeting uh, right. chart that he gets where like, you know, five or six people end up with a whole bunch of catches. He's not trying to force the ball. Like whatever the play designed, whatever the play is designed to do, he understands that. 
He understands what coverages it's good against, which coverages it's get bad against, and he understands his answers. And I think, you know, after watching kind of Dwayne Haskins struggle, like the importance of that understanding cannot be overstated. And I think that's what he brings to this team and um, it makes them better. If you're So if you're in that huddle with him and you know he does that, how does that change how you play or how you think? Well, I think it just, it gives you confidence. Like, you know, I've played with a couple versions of quarterbacks, right? Guys who, um, you know, kind of have, you know, like more towards Dwayne Haskins skill set and then more towards Alex Smith's skill set. And one of the things about playing with a guy like Alex Smith is, you know, you're never not in the progression. Like, you know, on the paper where it says, oh, this is number one, this is number two, this is number three. A lot of guys is number three. When you're playing with a guy like Dwayne Haskins, just as an example, you know, that third option is never going to, you're never going to get the football. So it affects kind of how you run the route. It affects your mindset. But then when you get a guy who's who's dispersing the ball more effectively, you kind of say, okay, like versus cover two, like I'm alive and I think Alex is going to see it. So I'm going to run this sucker like I'm going to get the football. And it just gives you a little bit more confidence as a receiver. And, and um, I think I think that's why you kind of see the offense come to life a little bit when Alex is playing and, you know, Kyle Allen was playing because those guys understand this offense really well and they know where to go with the football. And then running back Antonio Gibson, what have been your impressions of him? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't say like, you know, my expectations for him were so like I had zero expectation. He's a receiver converting to the position. I didn't expect him to be as big as he was. I didn't expect him to be as physical he was in terms of just pure running ability. I think he's, he is a very, very special talent. He's a unicorn. You know, he's big, he's fast. He's, he never, he always seems to be able to make the first guy miss. And it's not like he's doing these dramatic cuts, but he's got good contact balance. He, He's got kind of a nice swivel in his hips, and he's got this explosive playmaking ability for a guy who's 6'2 and 225 pounds. I, he, he is very, very rare, in my opinion, to find a guy of that skill set and that size and the way he catches the football. Like I think as he matures, like he's going to be a very, very dangerous player for a long time. It seems like his patience and his vision have really progressed throughout the year. And maybe the patience, the vision comes with being slowing down, too. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely that. I think he looks. I think he's just more confident, you know, as a as a player, understanding what the runs are trying to do. Right. But also, I think the O line is playing a, yes. a ton better, you know. And like for all his success, like they deserve a ton of credit. Absolutely. Like early in the year, they were having a hard time. Like I think I was on your show, targeting runs, kind of sticking on combinations, and that is they still do that every once in a while. But that's kind of true of every offensive line. I think he. Um, I think that group has just kind of matured in a really nice way. The tight ends are blocking better. I, I think they're they're getting to runs more consistently that suit his skill set. And so I I just think it's it's kind of a myriad of things that have led to him playing better. And it's hard to say which one is more important, but um, I'm glad with the result because he he's he's looking like a dominant runner. What have been your thoughts on Scott Turner? I know like as a coordinator and a play caller, you're you're dependent on what you have on on the field and what those guys can do, but right. but you can also still show things. So, what have been your thoughts on him as a play caller this year and coordinator? Yeah, he's uh, he's kind of been up and down a little bit, in my opinion. There's times where he looks like I'm like, wow, this is this guy could be really something special. You know, he seems to be calling the games with more confidence, and I think a lot of that is definitely related to the quarterback position. You know, he seems to be more confident when. Dwayne isn't on the field. He seems to be getting to more kind of diverse formations, more diverse passing concepts. He just seems to be more confident and, and more willing to call a more, more, more willing to present a more flushed out version of the offense. 
And I don't know if that's because of a lack of a confidence in Dwayne or, or whatever it is, but it definitely seems to, to be correlated with that. So, you know, in, in a way, I'm hoping that Alex Smith starts this weekend because I think it's going to be good for Scott Turner. I think he trusts Alex. I think he trusts, um, you know, I, we'll see how he feels about Heineke, but I think he trusts Alex. And I think that allows him to call games with more confidence. Like I think about, you know, like Kyle or, you know, any other of the teams I've been with them, when the backup quarterback comes in, you, I think they, they feel a little handcuffed. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel like they, they have to call a perfect game. They have to call the game in a specific way. And with Alex, I don't get that same sense from him. You know, I think he feels like they can get to more more of what they want to do. And they're not worried about it getting lost in translation in the headset. Or, uh, you know, like, for example, Dwayne has a wristband, you know, like that really limits what you do because that's 20 plays that you have to get called kind of because that's what he's right. comfortable with as opposed to kind of being able to get to, to different different areas of the offense kind of more seamlessly. And then, you know, um, for Sunday's game, what do you look at as like, okay, I don't know how much you've been able to watch the Eagles so far this week because we're still early in the week, but for right. Washington, what do you say that they've got to do this better or they've got to do this well if they want, you know, forget the Eagles record. What do they got to do? Yeah, so I think the one thing about the Eagles that is really challenging is that they have a quarterback who can run right. the football now, and he runs like a running back, and that it presents a myriad of challenges across the board at every level of the defense. You know, and he throws the ball okay. I thought he looked a little bit more like human or mortal last week after two kind of solid performances. I thought people kind of anointed him during the Saints game, but I thought he looked okay. You know what I mean? He didn't look great. He, he made good decisions. He ran the football well. I'm talking throwing right. the football now. Then against Arizona, came out throwing the ball really well. And then last week kind of came back to earth a little bit. So I think I, I think just handling his ability to run the football. And that's the one thing that makes me a little nervous is when it comes to like um, when it comes to like full stop, we gotta stop the run. This team has struggled with that throughout the season. You know, they haven't been able to do that consistently. And that's something that I think the Eagles are gonna lean on pretty heavily. Like it's not gonna be a conventional running game like you saw against Carolina. But they're gonna they're gonna have to find a way to limit the effectiveness of the run game because this team they actually perform really really well in obvious passing situations. They stopped like this this Carolina team. They have two three really outstanding receivers and playmakers on the outside, and they were able to kind of keep those guys relatively right. quiet. And then it allows the pass rush to come alive and really do what they want to do. So if they can do that and get this team to pass a little bit more, I think it's gonna be really helpful. But like I said, against the 49ers, they had a hard time stopping the run. Molster averaged, you know, I think 4.6 yards a carry, which isn't great. Last night, they kind of were death by a thousand cuts on that second right. drive, on the third drive for Carolina. And so finding a way to get that done, I think, is incredibly critical. And then offensively, I think it's really just about finding and establishing an identity early and leading and being willing to lean on your defense a little bit. Like I, I was, I was surprised with how little Scott Turner chose to run the football. Uh, in the game, especially as the game got on, like obviously, like, and especially after having so much success on the first drive and the beginning of the second drive, like Gibson was knocking off like nice, right. clean six, 10 yard runs. Like, just stick with that. If you got a punt, that's fine. Like, let the defense play defense, but don't turn the football over. And I think, um, you know, if Alex Smith, that's not, is playing, that's not as big of an issue. You know what I mean? Right. Because you can get to more of your offense. But if Heineke's playing, like, you need to be comfortable playing conservative football i think because if you look at this game like the offense basically lost the game for him like yeah. you know and the offense and special teams you know so possessing the football playing 
relatively mistake free. That might be seen. That might seem obvious, but that's those are things that this team has had a difficult time doing throughout the and year. And it's funny you say that because, like in the second half, I understood why they couldn't get to the run more. They got the ball so late in the third quarter, right. down by seventeen. But I know in the first half, there are other people I would say over there who would agree with that assessment because it was working and. You know, and it was and it was real. It was consistently working, not just a big run here and a big run there. Right. It was six, eight, ten, thirteen. You know, good good games. And I think the other thing that's like I was watching the tape today, reviewing the game, and you know, like that first fumble that Dwayne had, I thought it was like a really smart kind of execution by Scott Turner. What they did is they came out in like a big personnel grouping, three tight ends. They kind of matched in a big personnel, Carolina. So they got all of their kind of speedy safeties in that three-three-three structure off the field, and that's what they right. wanted. And then they tried to throw a pass, and it didn't go out. So I think it was like a smart decision to do that, but they got to kind of stick with that. You know what I mean? I think it was just because the, the result on that one play wasn't exactly what you wanted. Like you got to trust it a little bit more, and it's it, it can be really challenging, especially when uh, you don't have a lot of faith in the guy playing quarterback for you. Absolutely, and then. You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, LoneOakCoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, OAKCoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Speaking of that quarterback, and I just want to touch on this for a couple minutes because there's still big news this week. Any surprise by you at the downfall there? Um, I, I mean, we've, we've talked, talked about, about this yeah. off air. We've talked about this off air a little bit and on the show and you know, like I'm always rooting for guys. Like I, I want guys to be successful, and I want guys to have an opportunity to 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 change the league. You know, where, wherever they're drafted, right? But unfortunately, kind of from day one with him, I I got the sense that he was a little overdrafted. He didn't have kind of he might have had some physical talent, but I think in terms of the other minutia of the position, he was going to struggle for a long time, and he didn't seem to have the the studiousness and the work ethic early on to kind of build that. He didn't have a great example right out the gate, you know, in his first year to kind of set a model. And then it was really disappointing when Alex comes back and he's basically there to kind of support him. Um, you know, he, he's the starter and he didn't follow that example. So all of those things um, and then the lack of kind of evolution of his game, I think it was just a matter of time. Like I hate to draw, um, draw comparisons to like Russell Wilson, but like it was kind of not Russell Wilson, um, Jamarcus Russell. There we go. Um, you know, because like that, their games are very similar, like big arm, but all of like the pocket presence, the the studying outside, understanding of coverages, understanding of the offensive concept, all of that was kind of very similar for both of them. And um, I think it was just a matter of time sure. unless there was some kind of 
dramatic change as we've talked right. about. And before. I, and I, from the time he was benched, I thought that that was a wrap, but also as a player, given what happened last week, would you have preferred, you know, even though you knew it was at stake, would you have said, I wish they had just done this last week because it sets, sends this message. Or would you have said, you know what, we all know this, we are trying to win here. We can prop them up. We can do this. What would have right. been your assessment as a, as a player in that situation, a teammate? Yeah, it's really tough, and I think I think when you look at the quarterback room at that moment, I kind of think you say to yourself, "Well, who else is right. there?" You know, Heineke's been here. Heineke's been here for ten days, so it's it's literally um, kind of to Dwayne Haskins' favor. Like there was only one quarterback on the roster at the time. In my sure, the way, I look at it, you know, Heineke's been here for eight days or whatever. Like, what do you do? Like, you can't. Like, it would be irresponsible for Ron to put him out there. And everyone says, "Well, look at." How Heineke played in the second half. He's in a hurry-up offense versus the same, roughly the same defense every time, playing in an abridged offense. Like he's gonna have a sure. that's a good opportunity for him to look good, especially with his familiarity with the Carolina offense. However, like with imagine him starting the game when he has to know the whole book, he has to do all of these different things. He's kind of getting the the teeth of the Carolina defense and all of their complexity and all of their nuance. It just doesn't seem fair. For Ron to do that to Heineke, honestly, you know what I mean. And here's a guy who's been on the team. He's he knows the roster. He knows the offense. He was your starter at some point. Like he got his captaincy strips. He got fined forty thousand dollars. Like I think that sends a pretty clear message how Ron sure. and the organization feel about him. And so, you know, like as you know, as a player, I'd probably like you know part ways with him. But I felt like his this his course of disciplinary action was good. Okay. And I also think it was it was the only fair thing at the moment just because of the roster if there was another guy on the team with a pulse who'd been there longer than two weeks i would have been like sure get rid of him it's fine he's done but you know everything has context and i think it's important to understand that. last thing your instagram account and it's logan underscore yes. paulson what are you doing there posting some videos and game breakdowns sounds like yeah logan underscore paulson 82, Sorry, 82 and basically you know i'm watching yeah no it's all right i'm watching all these I'm watching all this film now for doing the radio thing with 106.7 The Fan. I thought, man, there's all these cool plays that come up every once in a while. Like, it'd be nice to just put them up there and talk about them. And so if I find something interesting, I just post it to the account. And people have been really cool about commenting and sharing. And, you know, like, to me, it's not about the Washington football team necessarily. It's about football. So if you're, like, a fan of something else, like, I take suggestions. I'd love to talk about kind of whatever. You know, I'm just doing it for fun. And if – you guys are into football, just check it out. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I forgot to ask because there's another Logan here running the Wildcat. Would you ever wanted to run the Wildcat back in the day? Same, you got the number. It's I, I know I was thinking about that. I actually told my college coach we were installing the Wildcat when I was at UCLA. And I said, oh, you know, because like all the running backs were having a hard time with the mental aspect of the Wildcat. And I said, coach, I could do it. And then they said, what did they say to me? They said, Logan, we want people to be afraid of the person holding the, <laughs> keeping the football, like that they could actually run. And I said, well, you know, like you can't have it both ways. So uh, I kind of wish I could have done that. But, um, you know, I wasn't the athlete that was required for that role. Logan, Logan's had a nice season for them. Oh, he's been great, man. He's been awesome. Like he's uh, and he's a guy that I, I think we've talked about before. Like I've really liked his right. ability and liked his talent. And to get this opportunity here has been really cool. You know, Logan, thank you very much for coming on. Lo always, as you know, I always love talking to you because I always learn stuff. And I, and I know people will listen to this as well. 
No, th- thanks for having me on, John. I really appreciate uh, your work and obviously like all you've done for me. So thank well, you. and you can, again, you can listen to Logan on 106.7 The Fan after the games and I, and, and and other times too throughout the week, right? Yeah. And then. Yeah, I'm doing pregame right. too. And then Logan underscore Paulson 82 on Instagram. Good breakdowns. Thanks, Logan. Thanks, John. All appreciate right. it. It is almost that time when you put your name in a grid and hope that your box hits the final score. But you don't have to wait until February to start winning. With Boxes, you can play box pools every day for every game. Boxes is completely free to play, and you can win big. Washington football fans who download the app from the App Store or go to Boxes.com, that's B-O-X-I-Z.com, and use our code KIND20 can enter our contest where the lucky winner with the final score of the Eagles-Washington game will receive $100. We'll have new games every week and incredible prizes in the playoffs and for the big game that will include tickets to games next year when fans can finally return in 2021. So go to Boxes.com for more information or download the app now. B-O-X-I-Z. Use the code KIM20, that's K-E-I-M 20, when you sign up and when you enter our contest for the Washington-Philadelphia game. It's free for you and your friends to get in and win. Boxes. It's anyone's game. Welcome back. Now for some Therapy Thursday questions. One note, I'm staying away from injury talks. A bunch of you have asked about that. It's too fluid. Follow me on Twitter at John underscore Kime to get the latest injury updates. All right, Dice K Price. Better to build on a playoff loss in draft 19th or the 10th pick. How many more wins would this team have with a C-grade quarterback performance all year? Well, with a C-grade performance, maybe another one. I think you'd need to get a couple more. You probably need a B-grade or B-minus. I don't think a C-grade is beating Baltimore. A C-grade's not beating, I don't think it's going to beat Arizona. It certainly wasn't going to beat the Rams. You know, I think a C-grade, well, actually C against Carolina probably does get it done. So that's one and maybe one other one. So maybe two. I think if you get a B-minus grade, a B-grade, then you're talking about, you know, a few more wins. So that's something to keep in mind this offseason, folks. Anyways, for the other question, it's not close. Build off a playoff appearance. This is a young team that can benefit from another week of work and by being tested in a postseason game. That's how you can learn. There's this belief for some that the for some that the only way teams can improve is by drafting high. It's not the NBA. You win not by always finishing the top ten of the draft, but rather by making smart picks. Detroit's always in the top 10. Jacksonville, Cleveland was. Now, Cleveland's having a good year, but how many years were they in the top 10? Many, 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 many. Two years ago, Washington took Montez Montez Sweat with the 26th pick. Jonathan Allen, 17th pick. Deron Payne, 13th pick. Terry McLaurin, 3rd round. Antonio Gibson, 3rd round. Cam Curl, 7th round. Get the point? It's not about picking high. It's about making smart picks. Winning builds the sort of culture you want. Do you even know who's going to be there at 10? Neither do I. Also, there's this belief that the only quarterbacks who are good are drafted in the top 10. Most of them were picked after that spot. I also think you don't want to finish on a three-game losing streak. That's another reason why I think winning is by far the, the only option. If they had gone 7-9 and nine in a normal year where there's a legit good team that wins the division, yeah, the benefit is that they improve by four games and get a better spot. But there are a lot of young players on this roster. They don't care that they might get in at 7-9, nor do they care if the team is a 10th or 19th pick. They know, because they're in the league and they went through this, they know it's way more than about, you know, you can improve 
many ways. It doesn't have to be with a 10th pick. I mean, that's just, there's just so many ways, and they know that it takes more than just getting picked high. They care that they now have a chance to win, and if they say lose a playoff game, finishes like that can fuel motivation for the offseason. Gives them a taste of something, and this is a group that has a lot of guys, Chase Young and Terry McLaurin's, that can, I think, will, will be fueled by that sort of a finish. Anyway, not close to me. Red Tails Insider, um, this was a two-part question. I boiled down to one. says, I feel none of the owners bat an eye towards Snyder and all that's going on. Is Snyder selling the team a pipe dream, or do you think that there's a line yet to be crossed that may force him to sell? Um, before last week or so, I thought there was nothing that had come out that would force him to sell. I don't have inside info on all that's going on with the investigations. I do know that the other side is truly willing to fight. Um, and they clearly have information that they feel is worth putting out there and getting um, maybe putting Snyder in a bad spot. I think we're not at the point where you'd say, oh, he's got to sell. I'm not sure we're even close. But last week, after that $1.6 million settlement news came out, that was the first time I thought maybe there's a lot more going on here than we know and maybe more is going to come out that would put him in that. And that settlement was off a sexual misconduct case. Now, Snyder in, his, in a filing said that neither he nor anybody else was, was accused of wrongdoing. Um, I think a lot of that is going to depend on what the woman involved in the settlement, if she tells talks to the investigators, and then what she says, what other things that they find, how much more is out there. I've always been a little bit amazed how what that Dan Snyder is willing to fight, seeing what's starting to come out. Um, maybe it would have been smarter for him just to sell those shares and let those guys sell their shares to somebody else and get it done and move on. He certainly, it certainly feels like with Dwight Sharp, it's more personal. Um, with Maybe with good reason, I don't know. Anyway, if he's accused of sexual assault and wrongdoing is found, then yeah, that's where it gets ultra serious. As of now, owners would not force him to sell because there's no direct proof or anything that has come out on him. Again, see what the investigators um, come up with. Um, I also think that owners are reluctant to get rid of other owners. I think that they know that they all have skeletons in their closet. Right? All, I don't know if all of them do, but I'm sure a lot of them do. So that's why I don't think they wanted that precedent unless there's direct proof of something like what happened with, with Richardson in Carolina. Um, and they're not going to get rid of a guy just because fans think he's a bad owner for the team. I think a lot of those owners know that he's not a good owner. And I told in the late, late summer, or excuse me, yeah, late summer, that there are definitely some owners who would want him out. But it's got to be something that's really serious to get them to make that kind of an action or take that kind of an action. And I will say, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason. Michael Donovan wants to know, Sunday is potentially Kerrigan, Ryan Kerrigan's last game as a member of the team. How would you characterize his time with the team? Well, obviously very good. He's been exactly what they hoped for when they drafted him in 2011. Now, he was never an elite pass rusher, but he was always very good and flirting with Pro Bowl bursts. When they drafted him, they took him over some other players because they knew what kind of leader he'd be in, in the room. He's not a vocal leader, but he is someone who leads simply by example and through his approach. Chase Young picks his brain quite a bit, and I've said this before, but Young went back and watched Kerrigan's pass rushes at Purdue to see how he developed with his game. Kerrigan's play has slipped a little bit the last couple of years, um, most probably a lot more against the run. And at times I knew I know that some maybe have wanted more, whether they were not necessarily with the team, um, but got people who I really respect. Um, but he remains a pro, a tr I mean a, a pro, and a definite help as a pass rusher. I know it would be hard for him to leave because he's always wanted to stay here his whole career, but I also know for a while this, this was a very frustrating year for him. 
Overall, his durability and productivity were always welcomed by this organization. And I will say, like I said, it'd be nice. it would be nice to see that guy stay here his whole career because that's what he wanted. But I also know the best organizations, sometimes what they do know is when to move on. And, the, and this organization has not always known that. They've always been slow with that. They keep guys around longer than they should, have, than they should be here. And that leads to guys getting paid who aren't helping you, and it's not how you build a winning situation. Kerrigan can still play. So I think it will come down to how much does he want, what does he want in his, in his role, and then can Washington accommodate him? Do they want to keep him around in a backup role? I mean, shoot, the guy can still, still clearly play, but then it comes down to money and fit. All right, Real Neil wants to know if, if um, Revere didn't like Dwayne from the start. Why didn't he tell Dan that he would not take the job if he couldn't trade Dwayne? Well, because coaches know that sometimes you say things to get a job. Jay Gruden sold Snyder on the fact over what he could do with Robert Griffin III. By early August of his first year, you knew that Gruden was done with him. In Revere's case, he came in with a detailed plan over how he wanted to develop Haskins. I've talked to others who were in the early offseason meetings who said that this new staff genuinely felt they could do what the previous staff could not. They did have a plan. They talked about him in positive terms. So it wasn't about him not liking Haskins right away. He gave Haskins a shot. He did what he, he tried to he tried to push him. He tried to challenge him. He tried to develop him, gave him that shot, and Haskins failed. All right, Jesus wants to know, I think Alex is good for one more year. Why not let him start next year as well instead of mortgaging the farm and screwing up the next two to three drafts by giving up picks to move up? Well, how do you know they're going to have to mortgage the farm to get another quarterback? A lot of it will come down to how do they view this class? How deep do they think it is? Also, I'm going to go back to the I want the 10th pick crowd. What if the top three QBs are gone and they don't like Trey Lance if he's the fourth one? I think teams are going to be very split on a guy like Lance. Very. And I wouldn't assume that this team is going to like him. What Alex has shown this year is that he can still help, but he's also limited and he doesn't pose much of a threat. He operates the subtle parts of the position so well and his intangibles are high. I mean, this team responds to his leadership, um, but there's no way I count on him being healthy for a 16-game season. Now, I mean, this would be one season where he could actually, off-season where he could train to, to play versus training to get healthy, so that would help him, but I think there's just no way I count on him being healthy for the whole year. And if I'm this staff, I see the way this defense is played and how it might develop and view this division as highly winnable for the next several years based on the talent they have. And they do like Kyle Allen as a stopgap too. Ron Rivera said on Wednesday that he feels they'd be in the same spot if Allen had stayed healthy. That should tell you something. He wasn't. You know, listen, Smith is going to be more than $20 million against the cap. Allen is, 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 a, is a pittance. Uh, with that, and they could save $13.8 million with Smith. He was going to put Smith, Revere was going to put Smith in IR at the end of August. He didn't turn to him until Allen was hurt. While Revere clearly likes Smith and he respects him, it does seem that there is pause there. I'd also see what's available in terms of a trade for a veteran. Then you maybe don't have to mortgage it. Maybe you are taking on more salary. But if they acquire a veteran, i draft a quarterback somewhere in the round two to four range. Um, it will be, again, I say the interesting offseason for Smith as well. Does he even want to continue playing? I don't know. Somebody asked me about him retiring. I don't know. I haven't heard that. It wouldn't shock me, but I haven't heard that yet. So I think it's he's been a great story. I've underestimated him, as have others. But I just think that if you want to take a big another step as an organization, somebody asked me about the, the grades as a quarterback, maybe they can find somebody who offers you 
some of those intangibles, but also maybe more of the ability or somebody who can help them a little bit more right now. So going to be interesting. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Thank you to Logan Paulson for joining me and thank you for listening. As always, a big thank you to Lono Coffee for their support. It's tough on small businesses right now, so it's nice to be able to get some help from them and try to give them some help as well. Big game Sunday, folks. Talk to you afterwards.